fast forward. We're going to be in the passage of Luke chapter 16. If you need a Bible, come up here and get a Bible. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 16. If you need a copy of God's Word, we got it right here for you. We want you to utilize it. Luke chapter 16. If you want to take notes tonight in the back on that black table, there are the sermon note sheets with pens. So if you'd like to take notes, we'd love for you to utilize those for you. Luke chapter 16. And we'll be in verse 19 through 31. Luke chapter 19 through 31. All right, so growing up, I was always a student that got good grades for the most part. I had about a 3.8 through college and middle school and high school and seminary. I just was always pretty good at school. But my sixth grade year, my favorite teacher, Mr. Moyer, it was a science class. And in that science class, for some reason, I don't know why the circumstances, I can't remember, but I got an, a big fat F on a science test. Anybody ever got an F before? Y'all just with me? Yeah. Do you feel my pain? So I'm a kid that had always gotten A's, high B's, and I get this F. And getting an F in Mr. Moyer's class was not just something like, oh, I'm just going to go the next week and, like, I'll be fine. I don't have to worry about it. don't have to address it. Well, Mr. Moyer's policy is if you failed an assignment or a test, you had to get it taken home and signed by your parents. Anybody have that policy before? Okay. Well, that was, it was awful. So Imagine sixth grade Dylan, bowl cut and all, and I'm looking at this test, and I got an F, and I'm just petrified. My parents had high expectations for me. Anybody uh, align with me on that? Y'all, your parents have high expectations? Even though my brother got C's all the time, and they were chill with that, but, like, they're like, why'd you get a B plus? You could have got an A. So I'm looking at this F, and I'm like, I'm going to have to, my parents are going to have to see this. So I go home, and, yep, that's, that's me, bowl, bowl cut Dylan. Um, so I go home, and my parents are working, so they're not home yet, and I'm just looking and thinking of the options that I have before me. Number one, I could just, like, rip it up, throw it away, and act like it never happened. B, I could forge my parents' signature. I'm not going to ask any, anybody in the room that has forged their, parents, forged their parents' signature. Or the third is that I face the music, and I have my parents' sign it. So I thought, I was like, okay, I'm going to have my parents sign my, my, my test that I flunked. So I thought, well, I can't just like sit there and wait for them and say, hey, here's this. And my dad would be like, what the crap are you doing? Why'd you get in there? Like, I, I just thought I'd get grounded for a really long time if I did that. So I thought, I need a peace offering. So I thought, to my, I, had, I had a TV in my room and I thought, uh, and it's not, you know, you flat screens, it's a big old box TV. And I pick it up and I put it in my parents' room on their bed. I just thought, this is my sacrifice, this is my peace offering, I'm just putting my TV in their room and it's going to be all good. Well, and I just sit in my room until they got home from work. And uh, they come in, and as they go into the room, they see my TV in the room, and you imagine they're like, what in the world is Dylan's TV doing in my room? So they come into my room and they see me there, and they're like, Dylan, why is, why is your TV in my room? And I just start bawling. Like tears are flowing I'm petrified, I'm so embarrassed, like I, I, I don't know what to do with myself. And my parents are like, oh, okay, what's wrong? And I show them the test, and they actually called Mr. Moyer. They're like, hey, just to be, just to be clear, did anything else happen in class? And they're like, oh, no, he just, 
is taking it really hard. He just flunked this test. And I was like, yeah, I'm just embarrassed. Like, it was just a whole ordeal. And thank the Lord, I did not get any grounding. Like, I didn't get in trouble. So if you get in trouble, maybe take the TV and put it in your parents' room. But that's not the moral of the story. In that moment, I had to realize, I need to address this. I can't just act like this didn't happen. I need to address it and respond to it. Tonight's question uh, is an interesting question, not one that we've singularly focused on on a midweek, on on a Wednesday night. The question is, what do I need to know about hell? Like, whoa, I didn't, was not expecting that one. What do I need to know about hell? It's a topic that we all kind of feel like we have a good understanding. It's hell, right? We're all sinners. That's where we're supposed to go. But I feel like a lot of people just kind of skirt by the issue of hell and just say, I'm just going to do this. I'm not going to think about it. You've got a lot of people in the world that just say like, oh, hell's just going to be an old big party. It's one of the things that is really paramount to the Christian. It's in our face, and we need to address it, not only for our own self, but for the others that are around us. So my overarching thought for us tonight is that hell demands our attention and our response. Hell demands our attention and our response. Let's pray as we open God's word. God, we thank you for your living and active word. God, we thank you that you speak to us. God, I pray as we approach a topic that is just not very comfortable, uh, God, that you would give us clarity on it and how we should respond to it. God, we give you glory and honor in all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to walk through a couple different things about hell. The first one is this. Hell is a reality. Hell is a reality. Let's read In Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 23, we're going to read a story about the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So we got this dude uh, that's really rich. He's well-fed, he's wearing purple, which is a sign of royalty, of of eliteness in the society. And you got this poor man named Lazarus who is desiring to be fed from the scraps of the table. And dogs come up and lick his sores. Pretty nasty picture what we have. So we have this rich man that's got all the things in the world. And you got this poor man that has nothing in this world. Verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Uh, there's these things in the armies, uh, in the army called chaplains. And they're essentially uh, a pastor to the soldiers. Uh, there's a story of these soldiers on a ship and they all huddle around the chaplain. And the chaplain's like, okay, what's going on? What question do you have? And all the soldiers say, is hell real? Is it a real place? And I don't know who certified this chaplain. I don't know what he came from. But his response to them was, no, hell is not a real place. So you imagine, what would the soldier's response be? Well, the soldier's response was this. Well, will will you then please resign? Because if it's not real, if there is no hell, we don't need you. There's no need for you to be here if there's no bad place we could go. 
And they said, if there is a hell, we do not wish to be led astray. We don't want to act like there's not one and ends up there is one where we need faith. There's a a study by Barna that was completed last month that said 71% of Americans believe there is a hell. So 7 out of 10 Americans believe that there is a hell. But they also pulled that 71%, and then 24% of those people did not know where they would go when they would die. So 25%, 1 in 4 of the 70%, they believed in hell, but they didn't know where they were going at the end. I don't know what that chaplain was thinking, why he was in the position he was, but his job was to tell them the truths of God's word, not what he personally thought that had no founding in scripture. Hell is a reality. My job as your student pastor is to love you, shepherd you, but to feed you what God's word says. Not what the world wants you to think, but what the Bible says. That's my job as your student pastor. And I don't want to skirt around this issue. Hell is a reality. Hell is a real place. It's uncomfortable because it should be uncomfortable. It's not a place where we are going for an afternoon tea. It is not a place where we can just act like it doesn't exist. We must, as believers, be informed that hell is a reality. It's a real place. So we see you got the rich man and you got the poor man. And in verse 22 we see... Time takes its toll, and the rich man dies, and the poor man dies. The poor man, he gets taken to heaven. He gets taken to heaven, but where does the rich man go? It says he goes to Hades, which is another word term for hell. It says he was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and uh, and, uh, saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So we see there is a heaven and there is a hell. We see throughout scripture that this is evidently clear. It's crystal clear. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, the parable right of the, the, the gates. You got the wide gate and you got the narrow gate. The narrow gate is hard, but it leads to eternal life. You got the wide gate. It's easy, but it leads to destruction. There's two destinies, two destinations, heaven and hell. Scripture makes it clear. Those are the two destinations. When we die, every single person in this room, when we die, we either go to heaven or we go to hell. And it's completely based on your response to who Jesus is. Scripture also talks about hell as a lake of eternal fire. That doesn't sound too appetizing to me. Revelation 20.10, it says this, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That if we are not going to heaven, but we're going to hell, that is being thrown into a lake of fire and sulfur where we are tormented day and night forever and ever. You see that it says torment here. It says torment in our passage in Luke 16. Revelation 21.8 in the next chapter, it says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Again, another reference that hell is a lake of fire and sulfur. Matthew 13, 41 says, The Son of Man will send his angels, 
and they will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sin, and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we see a common thread here. It's a lake of fire and sulfur, but Matthew 13, 41 also says it's a fiery furnace, that common thread, fire, torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is not a place that we should desire. Matthew 13, 50. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Scripture is clear that there is a hell and it's not a desirable place. Well, there's this thought, this idea called universalism that's out there. It's been around for a long time. Universalism is universalism is the belief that everyone will go to heaven. Everyone will be saved. It doesn't matter what you believe in. It doesn't matter what you do. Everyone will go to heaven. There's a lot of people that actually believe that. And, I mean, in my heart, I wish that were true, right? I wish everyone came to know Jesus. I wish everyone just went to heaven. Because when I read of uh, people being thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, being thrown into the fire furnace, I, my worst enemy, I don't want that for them. Scripture says that God desires all to be saved. There is a desire for everyone, but that's not the case. If there is no hell, then there would be no reason for Jesus, right? If there were no hell, then there would be no reason for Jesus. Why would the Son of God come down, live a perfect life, and take our sins upon him, take our punishment? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Why in the world, if there is not a thing called hell, would Jesus come down and take our sins and get humiliated, get crucified, get mocked, get tortured for our sake? If there were no hell, Jesus would not be necessary. So scripture makes it clear, it is a place, and Jesus continues in showing that it is necessary. So hell is a reality. The second thing we learn from this passage is that hell results in suffering. Hell results in suffering. Verses 24, 25, and 26. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in manner, like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. Hell results in suffering. We see in verse 24, it says, and he called out, have mercy on me. Now, there's a a, a common thing that a lot of people have said throughout decades Uh, And especially with people that like to party, that just don't care about God, uh, and they kind of mock God. Oh, well, hell's just going to be a big old party with all of us, right? We're going to be having fun, laughing, just in a different place, tipping back some beers. People say, oh, hell's just a big party. It's not that big of a deal. This scripture and all of scripture attest that that's not the case. That is not a place where you want to go. We, We saw it. Earlier, it's this fiery furnace. It's a lake of fire and sulfur. 
where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, Scripture says in heaven there will be no more tears. You will not hurt. There will be no more pain or suffering or death. But we see here from the rich man, the very first thing he's saying, he says, have mercy on me. That doesn't come from a place of need, of having everything, but it's in a place of needing everything. Continuing on in verse 24, he says, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. So he sees, uh, he sees Lazarus. He's like the person that he dogged on, the person he mocked and didn't see. He said, "Hey, I am in anguish. I need, I need some relief. I need some relief. Hey, could he dip his finger in some water and cool my tongue? Y'all, y'all ever been really like dehydrated, really thirsty before, just in like really bad place? Like that's when you slam some Gatorades." Right, that's when you slam some water, some, some, you know, whatever the, the new waters are uh, these days, the new flavored. Like you guys want multiple of those because that's how you're going to get satisfied. You feel good after that, right? The two for three deal at Anki. This guy is in so much anguish. He's in so much torment. He's in so much pain that the idea of being relieved is a dip of water being put on his tongue. That doesn't give you a picture of what hell is like. I don't know what does. That, that simple thing looks like the most amazing thing that he would ask for. That's what would relieve him. Hell is not a party, but it's a place, place of anguish and torment. Mark chapter 9, I think, highlights this even more so. Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 50, reads like this. Whoever, and it's talking about this temptation to sin, this idea of sinning, says whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him uh, if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Verse 43, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. Continues on, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's saying hell is such a bad place that you do not want to go. It's full of pain and suffering that cutting off your own hands so that you would not sin and be in hell is a much better deal than to have two hands to go to hell. I got both hands and I got both feet and I got both eyes, so I don't know what it feels like to get those cut off. But I would imagine it is an immense pain. And he's serious about it. He's serious about the reality of hell and the suffering of hell if he's saying, cut off your own hands so you don't go there. If it takes you to cut your own foot off so you don't sin and live a life that's enraptured in sin, then do it. Cut off that foot. You know, to gouge your eye out in order that you may not sin and enter into hell. It's better to have one eye gouged out than to have two eyes going into hell. You know who talks about hell the most in the Bible? Jesus. Jesus talks about hell the most. Because you know why? Because he offers something so much more than what hell can offer. 
Because hell is full of torment, anguish, pain. And he's making it abundantly clear, you do not want to do that. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. Revelation 14, 10 and 11 say this, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Hell is full of punishment of eternal destruction. Earlier it talked about day, you will be tormented day and night forever and ever in the lake of fire and sulfur, the fiery furnace. Hell is not a big party. It is where sin suffers. It is where we suffer when Jesus is not our Lord and Savior. So we see hell is a reality. We can't skirt around the idea. If it's a reality, we have to address it. We have to see what the Bible says, and the Bible says it's a place where we don't want to go. It's a fire, lake of fire and sulfur. It's a fiery furnace where there's torment and anguish and pain. We see it results in that suffering forever. And the last thing we learn about hell in this this passage is that hell requires a response. Hell requires a response. Verse 27 and following. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send them to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do hear Moses, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. What it says in this passage, in verse 26, is there's a great chasm that you cannot pass. We've heard about the gospel illustration all the time, right? The canyon that we're on one side because of our sin and God is over here. And the only way we can approach God and be made right with God is through the cross that is dropped through the canyon. And we can get to God because of Jesus. Well, this is a different chasm it's talking about here in verse 26. It's saying, once you die, you go to heaven or hell. And once you go to either of those places, there's no switching. It says here in verse 26, it's a great chasm that has been fixed. There's no changing it. It says that none may cross from there to us. There's some belief systems that once you die, you can maybe earn your favor back to heaven. Maybe some people can pray for you and that you can be made right because of people's prayers. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. What scripture says is that once you die, the place you go is the place you go. If you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you go to heaven. If you don't, you go to the fiery furnace that is hell. There's no switching back and forth. So we see the rich man, once he realizes where he is, the first thing he's realizing is the anguish that he's in. He's he's realizing the suffering and the pain that he's in, that he's simply asking for a drop of water from a finger so that he would be refreshed. He's in anguish and torment. But the second thing that comes to his mind, look again, verse 28. He's talking about, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come in this place 
of torment. His mind went to his five brothers. He's experiencing hell. He's experiencing the anguish and the torment and the suffering and the pain. And his thought goes to, I have five brothers that I want to warn. I want to warn them about what hell is because I don't want them to come here as well. I don't want them to experience the anguish. I don't want them to experience the suffering. Can you, can you go warn them? We see it here. It says, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Is that not true today? Jesus was crucified on our behalf. He paid the penalty for our sins. What did he do three days later? He rose from the grave. Do people still not believe in Jesus? Yes. People still don't believe from Jesus, yet he rose from the dead. Says if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to someone who should they rise from the dead. Jesus is that stumbling block for people. The fact of the matter is, as a believer, when you hear the message about hell, that it's a reality and that it results in suffering, it should cause a couple things in you. Number one, thankfulness to Jesus. Right? Thankfulness to Jesus because he took our place on the cross. All have sinned, the wages of sin is death. We deserve death, we deserve eternal damnation in the fiery furnace of hell. But Jesus, being the Son of God, being perfect, came and was the perfect sacrifice for us so that we don't have to die and go to hell. That we may have eternal life with him, but life with him now. Like that should invoke some thankfulness and some praise and worship in our lives to Jesus and every day that should be on the forefront of our mind but the second thing is that should be on the forefront of our minds are our lost friends and family members his thought was my five brothers don't know Jesus my five brothers are on a highway to hell and I want them to not be here I want them to know what heaven is like not what hell is like so as a believer your thankfulness for Jesus but the second thing is, who does not know about Jesus? This is not an issue we can skirt around. It's not one that you guys are 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. There's a lot of people maybe in this room or in your schools that think, well, I got 80, 90 years left of my life. I'll worry about that when it time comes. This is not something that you can skirt around and push to the side. This is a reality that we have to face. Because should we die tomorrow, we go to one of two places. And the only thing that guides our destination and our direction is if Jesus is the Lord of our life. If he has saved our life, if we've repented of our sins and trusted in him. That is the only thing that makes us difference. It's not your works, but it's if your faith and trust is in Jesus. So as the band comes up, I want to talk to the non-believer. If you're in this room tonight and you don't know Jesus, you've been coming to Wednesday nights for a while, you've been coming to this church for a while, you may be a first-time guest here tonight. Are you convinced from God's word 
Hell is a place we don't want to go. But my goal tonight is not to scare you into a relationship with Jesus. What I want you to see is the beauty of Jesus and what he offers. Because without Jesus, we have eternal damnation in hell. But with Jesus, we have eternal life with him. One place there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. One place there are no more tears. There is no more death. There is no more pain. So tonight, what I'm going to ask as the band will play, and we're going to worship like we normally do, but I want to mobilize you. Because I think this message should do a couple things for you. It should cause some thankfulness for Jesus, and that's why we're going to sing high the name of Jesus. We're going to worship him and give him honor and glory because we don't have to go to hell. But in our flesh, that's, we got a one-way ticket to hell, but Jesus changes our destination for eternity. So there should be some praise and worship that we should sing to him tonight. As we sing that Jesus is over everything, we're going to sing that he brought us from the grave to the garden where we can flourish in a relationship with him. So we're going to praise him. But tonight what I hope is invoked in you is a need, a desire, a heart for those that don't know Jesus. Because what you see in this story is that hell is a reality and hell results in suffering. And if you do not know Jesus, that will be your reality. If our friends don't know Jesus, that will be their reality. The reason we gather as a church, the reason we come on midweeks is to be built up and to tell people about the one who saved us. We don't want to fill this room simply for numbers sake. We want to fill this room because we are stealing people from hell for the name of Jesus. So during this worship time, I want you to sing loud. But I also want you to take advantage of the stage. Now, this is not as comfy as the worship center. But I want you to use this as an altar. I want you to turn around and use your chair as an altar. I want you to group up with friends and pray for your lost family members. Pray for your friends that don't know Jesus. That God would awaken their hearts, that they would come to know the goodness of Jesus. That they would see the beauty of Jesus, that you would have an opportunity, an open door to tell them about Jesus. Because if they don't ever hear about Jesus, they are sinful people just like us all. And we have earned a one-way ticket to hell. Their salvation is not dependent on you, but how beautiful are the feet that brings good news. God delights to use his people for his mission. Part of that mission is getting on your knees and crying out on the behalf of your friends and family members that don't know Jesus. So as they sing, utilize the room, utilize the chairs, utilize the stage, utilize your friends, and pray. But if you're in this room tonight and you have not made that decision to trust in Jesus, I'm here to talk. We have adults in the back that want to talk as you place your faith and trust in Jesus. Amen? God, we thank you for this time. God, would you move in our hearts this truth that hell is a reality. It's a place that there is suffering and gnashing of teeth, of torment. God, would that not be named among us because you have sent your son Jesus. So God, I pray for those in the room that have not given their life to you. God, that you would move them, embolden them to step up, step out, and trust in you. God, I pray that you would bring them forward tonight. God, I pray that for the other believers in the room, that, Lord, maybe this would be a reality check. Because at the beginning, 
believer, non-believer, we were all non-believers sitting there with the paper that said that we have failed at life. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all we deserve is the wrath of God. But you have given us grace and mercy when we didn't deserve it in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we can be made clean made new, new creation, sons and daughters of the one true king. That is all because of what Jesus has done for us. So God, would you invoke thankfulness in our heart, praise and worship, and God, would you bring people from death to life tonight because of the truth of the gospel. God, would you receive honor and glory in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.